to have a joke about something that's so like uh, big in your life where a life-changing event and almost dying and then you make it funny. Do you think this audience is ready to laugh about COVID when we're still kind of in it a little bit? I think they're ready to laugh at my story about it because it's hard for me, it's hard to talk about COVID as um, a broad statement, like, oh, let's talk about COVID. But when I talk about myself dealing with COVID and finding the funny in it, people can laugh about that. I would never do a joke about COVID because it's affected so many people. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Laura Hamden, producer for St. Louis on the Air. Before today's episode, I want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. Our team works hard to provide nuance on the news that shapes your life and your community. We wouldn't be able to do this without your support. The money you give to St. Louis Public Radio helps fund our podcast. Please go to stlpr.org slash donate and give an amount that works for you. Your contribution along with that of your neighbors is what fuels St. Louis on the air. We're really grateful. Thank you for your support. If you're shaking off your year of hibernation, The Funny Bone is again open and hosting comedians with a national profile. That includes Michael Yo. You might remember him as the co-host of The Insider on CBS. Yes, he's a former entertainment news reporter and host. And in addition to his stand-up these days, he also hosts The Morning Yo podcast. He'll be at The Funny Bone this Thursday through Saturday, and he joins us today. Michael Yo, welcome. How you doing? Nice to be on. I appreciate it. So, Michael, you decided to go from interviewing celebrities to becoming the guy who gets interviewed, to becoming a professional comedian. What were you possibly thinking on that? You know, I, I've interviewed everyone. I, I was actually thinking the other day, what celebrity haven't I interviewed? And it was Brad Pitt. Besides Brad Pitt, I pretty much interviewed everyone. And I built up a name in that uh in, in that space of hosting, of interviewing celebrities, and I just wanted to expand. And I was on Chelsea lately at the time, and Chelsea was the peak of entertainment, like as far as comedians, and I was on with some great comedians. And everywhere I would fly to, to interview a celebrity, people would ask me where I'm performing, and I didn't do stand-up. Hmm. So I decided to give it a shot, and that's where it all took off. So people almost saw this in you before you saw it in yourself. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. They were like, they were asking me where I was performing. I was like, I'm not even a stand-up comedian. And then my good friend Joe Coy, who's a huge stand-up comedian today, uh, he took me under his wing and he mentored me and took me on the road for like two to three years to really get my feet wet in stand-up. And I remember the first time I went on, I got off a stage and called my mom and said, this is what I was born to do, Hmm. comedy and acting. Yeah, I love it so much. So you were on the road. I mean, you quit this this job that you'd gotten really good at, made your name in. I understand you have a couple of young kids. Was your wife ready to kill you when you decided, like, yeah, I'm going to go be a comedian? Yeah, and, and make no money. Yeah, yeah, go No, she she was very, actually, she was very supportive because uh, I was good at saving. So she was very supportive, and I feel, you know, I, I think everyone in life gets to a point, no matter where they work, they go, okay, you know what? Uh, I've done, I'm done building their brand. I want to build my own brand. Mm-hmm. And I got to that point where 
it's just, I, I love hosting and I love interviewing people, but it's just easy, you know, and I needed a challenge in at times I felt like I was spinning my wheels doing the same thing every single day. And I was like, you know what, if I do stand up, that's a challenge because every time you go on stage, it's different. And then even in acting, it's different. So I, it, it's exciting to me. And I needed that change because I was getting into a slump of, oh, I got to go to work. Mm. I got to go to work. And even though it's somebody else's dream, probably it's still work. You know what I mean? Once you do it long enough, I was very appreciative of it. But I need to be mentally uh, challenged all the time. And entertainment news at that time, three years ago, just didn't do it for me. So I walked away. Hmm. So you found this new challenge and you were really picking up some steam with it. And then you had a pretty serious setback. And, and this goes beyond just the pandemic shutting down the comedy industry. You yourself got very seriously ill with COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I got it. Uh, I was in New York City. I performed at the legendary nightclub Gotham, which is I, I, I love that club. But I performed there March 8th, 9th and 10th. Now, we all know the shutdown happened on the 12th. Mm. So I there was no mask enforcement. I didn't know. We were all trying to figure it out. I looked back at the day. Less than 100 people died in America from COVID. So it was very, very early. I was meeting people at the shows. I was talking to people. No mask because there was no mandate. We didn't know that it was going to be a serious thing. And then uh, I came home about um, eight, nine days after I came home. Uh, I got really sick, really sick. And I had to go to a hospital and was in ICU. Oh, my goodness. For eight, ICU for eight days. And the first... 10 minutes I get to the hospital, they took a chest x-ray and the doctor was like, uh, well, it's going to go really good or really bad. And uh, we'll know in two days. <laughs> in That's two what he told days. Me. And so you're like, in two days. my life is hanging in the balance here. Which is it? <laughs> and, and he needed two days because my my um, my levels, uh, my lungs were filling up with fluid mm. and I had double pneumonia and corona. And if you remember back a year ago, double, I mean, pneumonia and corona were killing people. Yeah. Like they didn't know how to fight that. And so that's why they just started throwing people on ventilators because they thought it was a respiratory issue, which it is, but it's a different one. Mm -hmm. So that's why, they, so, you know, so it was, it was difficult. My, my first night and second night, my temperature got up to 104.8. You know, they gave me hydroxychloroquine my first day and I had an allergic reaction to it. And that's when my temperature spiked and they gave me malaria drug. And it was, I was the first person in the hospital with it, uh, in that hospital in, at St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank. So I was a guinea pig. I was in per perfect health, you know, worked out six days, ate right. Uh, so I was a guinea pig in a good and bad way because they tried everything. Uh, the bad thing is they didn't know if anything was gonna work. So. Yeah, I mean, that just that sounds absolutely terrifying. At one point, were you thinking I'm a goner? Yeah, when my temperature got to 104.8 and literally I felt like I wasn't even inside my body. My body was so hot. I almost it felt like I was outside my body looking at me going, is this even real? I, I felt like I was watching a movie, <laughs> you know, like it was a dream. I was in dream state because my body was so hot and. It was, I, I can't even describe the pain I was in from my head feeling like it wanted to explode from my body just not working from just sweating, 
just just everything going in and out of consciousness. So it was uh, it was a bad time. Put yeah, it like it, that. It was a bad time. You have definitely convinced me I do not want to get COVID-19, especially in the very earliest days of the pandemic there. I mean, that that just sounds crazy. Was there a moment where you realized, you know what, I'm going to get through this. I, I am going to get better. I, you know what, they were very honest because the doctor I had, Dr. Sofert, um, he was very honest because I went in and said, don't BS me. Mm-hmm. You know, tell me the truth. Yeah, I need to know, like, you know, you don't have to sugarcoat anything. And he said, I will tell you when you're in the clear. And I won't tell you that before. I'll tell you when you're in the clear. The fourth day, he told me I was in the clear. So he goes, your levels, the the fluid is not rising anymore. It's steady and it's going down a little. So that's a great sign. And then like two days after that, three days after that, the fluid uh, went down where they felt comfortable of letting me go. So I was in there eight days, but I had the fluid in me like eight, nine months after still. It took a long time. Yeah. So we've all heard a lot about COVID brain. Like it makes your brain just kind of sluggish. That seems like a huge occupational hazard in your line of work. Did you suffer from that for for a long time? it, It was interesting. I suffered from it in different ways. Like certain things I struggled in it, other things it didn't like with stand up, I didn't go up for a while, mm-hmm. like probably six months after. But as soon as I went on, it all clicked. But I know I, but in other departments in my life, it was slow, like remembering certain things. And my body was still hurting. Like I didn't, I haven't felt, I felt 100% for the first time in December. Wow. So like eight, nine months after. Yeah, it, it hit me hard. It hit me hard. That is a long time to feel bad. I mean, that just you must have just gotten sick of not feeling good. You know what? It's uh, you. It is. You know, I've never you know, I'm always a positive, upbeat person. But at times you got is this ever going to go away? And it makes you sad, you know, and you need a support system. It's like my body is always hurting. And other days it would hurt worse than the day before. But it was just a, uh, an emotional roller coaster. Your body was on a roller coaster of pain. You don't know when you wake up how it's going to feel. But, I mean, it felt uh, a million times better than when I was in there those eight days. So it just took a while to recover from it, you know. So I'm just very blessed to recover. And then you deal with a lot of, you know, a lot of people call it survivor's guilt, survivor's remorse. But it's to me, it's not that. It's just... The biggest issue I had wasn't even about dying in the hospital. My son was three. My daughter was four months mm. at that age, at that time. And I was like, my biggest thing I was scared of is they would never know how much I love them. Yeah. You know, like really know because they're too young. And that's what I thought about when I was in the hospital. You know, my wife knows how much I love her. Uh, but my kids, I it's and then I see so many young parents lost and their kids will never know who they are. And that's what really... That's what really affected me in the hospital, and that drove me in. You know, luckily I had the right doctors that didn't put me on a ventilator and pushed me to survive this thing. So that was what pushed me throughout the whole thing. We're talking today to Michael Yo. Wow, what a story of um, recovering from COVID-19 there. Michael's going to be at the Funny Bone um, in Westport Plaza beginning this Thursday. He'll be there for Yes. Yeah, and there's, there's tickets available. We want to encourage people to check out this comedy. You talk there about um, your kids needing to know how much you love them. You've got an interesting um, family background yourself. Your dad is black and your mom is Korean. Uh, were you raised in a household where you felt that love all the time as a little oh, kid? Oh, well— 
you know, yes, yes. I felt the love all the time, but my parents never told me they loved me. Never. Until I was 29 years old, till I forced them. Because they just didn't do that, which mm. was very weird now that I'm a parent. And they, I have yet today see my parents tell each other they love each other. They just don't use that word because to them it's more about action than saying it. And they both agree that you say it so much it loses the meaning. But I'm like, no, like I, that's not true to me because I could tell my son I love him a million times a day and mean it even more every single time. So that's just, you know, old school parents versus new school parents. But that's what I talk about in my standup, how my parents were to me, how I were to them. I talk about beating COVID and it's amazing to have a joke about something that's so like uh, big in your life where a life changing event and almost dying and then you make it funny where people are laughing the whole time about it. So that's what I'm excited for and I'm working on a new special that drops in November. So. This will be the first date that I'm actually doing the new material and trying it out. So I'm excited. This about. is the very first date. So trying yeah. to get the laughs on COVID, you're going to pioneer that in St. Louis? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, now I practiced it before. I practiced it where I lived. But this, is, this will be the first time out of my area because I moved to Las Vegas. So out of Vegas, this is the first time me going somewhere and saying, I hope this works over here. But I, I really think the new material is going to it's going to land and it's going to be really good. And I'm excited. I sell out every time I come to St. Louis. So I'm excited just to be there. So you you've know? got a I following here. It sounds like, you know, this audience. Do you think this audience is ready to laugh about COVID when we're still kind of in it a little bit getting out of it? I think I think I think they're ready to laugh at my story about it because it's hard for me it's hard to talk about COVID as um, a broad statement like oh let's talk about COVID but when I talk about myself dealing with COVID and finding the funny in it people can laugh about that I would never do a joke about COVID because it's affected so many people like just a broad joke about it but I make everything personal so since it's about me uh, people have been able to laugh about it I've seen comics make the mistake of trying to make jokes about COVID but 530,000 people have died from it. You know what I mean? So it's different when it's about you versus about other people. And is that how you can joke about, um, you know, your parents not saying I love you until you're 29? That seems almost more painful than COVID. Yeah, I forced them to, though. Like, literally, I called my dad and said, hey, dad, uh, I just want to say I love you. And my dad goes, great, and hung up the phone. No. He didn't know what to do. Yes, I swear. He didn't know what to do. And then my mom calls back and goes, so are you okay? I heard you tell your dad you love him. Is anything wrong? Do you have anything to tell me? And so they were like just freaked out about me saying it. But now we say it all the time. So mm -hmm. we've got to that point where I tell them I love them all the time and they tell me back. But it's just weird growing up, growing up in a house uh, where it didn't happen because my mom said from her tradition you know, they do not say what is known. Hmm. And my dad is like, well, if she's not going to say it, I'm not going to say it either. So literally, that was why it was never said in our house. That's interesting. And it sounds like you set out to be a different kind of parent yourself. Did you have to do that consciously? Or was that just always in you that I don't care if it's known, I'm still going to say it? I think I think my idea of parenting is our job is to be better parents than our parents were to us so our kids can be better individuals than we are. Hmm. So I, I, I take what my parents, I take the good stuff, I take the bad stuff. I think it's bad. Uh, they didn't tell me I love you, but they don't. They still don't. <laughs> so, Even though you but, almost died, they still don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, they still don't. They were like, well, you know, it's, it is what it is. You know, we just didn't need to say it because you know, it, my dad's like a, 
I fed you. I put a roof over your head. How much more can I say I love you? you know? I mean, so, he's right. I mean, that is love right, right there, right? He's right. So with my kids, I say it all the time. They know. I forced them to say it back, too. You know, I say it so much. They're, my son's just like, you know, I love you, right, little guy? He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, it's because I say it so much. <laughs> so he's going to, he's probably going to, the boomerang will, will swing the other way. He'll never say oh, it yeah. to his kids. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a pendulum. Like, I, I've, I've disrupted the pendulum. So, yeah. But he knows I love him, and that's all that matters to me because life is short, and you got to let him know. You got to let him know. That's right. And you know what? That is the perfect note to end on here today. So, Michael Yo, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope that this new material that you're going to try out here in St. Louis, I hope that we're ready for this. Oh, no, you are. It's going to be great. Thank you, Sarah. Well, Michael will be at the Funny Bone. That's in Westport Plaza beginning this Thursday. You can get ticket information at stlouisfunnybone.com. There are tickets available, and, and so check out Michael's show. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Tomorrow on St. Louis on the Air, speaking of COVID-19, we're going to discuss everything you need to know about the COVID-19 vaccine. Our guest is actually an infectious disease physician at St. Louis University's Center for Vaccine Development. And so any questions you have that you've developed in the course of, of maybe getting the vaccine, thinking about the vaccine, hearing friends get a, get the vaccine, give us those questions. Our email and our voicemail line are both open. Uh, we're at talk at stlpublicradio.org, or you can leave us a voice mail at 314-516-6397. Again, that's 314-516-6397. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.